Ba-da-ba-ba. Welcome to Fourth Times the Charm, the only podcast for every week is a brand new concept. I'm your producer, Ben. Alongside me is my director, Matt. And I started this episode before he was even ready and before I even said hi to him. And that's how we're going to open up today's episode. Matt, how the diddly dong hell are you doing today? All right, well, I just started recording. So yeah. that's going to be a wonderful... You just started recording? Ooh. That's great. What's going on, pal? How you doing? What's up? Are, are you on cocaine? No, I'm, I'm trying something new this week. I'm going for spontaneity. So you're going with us starting the podcast with no previous conversation. <laughs> no, no <laughs> Nothing. previous We're conversation. Just... We're raw so should I, should I, I had these like, I had like notes about how I felt like we could structure the episode this week, but fuck it. Let's, you what? know, I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah, let, yeah. I'm fucking chilling. That's uh, I just awesome. Got back, just got back from the gym. Uh, was uh, re-watching the making How was gym? of. The gym was nice. He did a lot of stretches. That's great. I love gym. Uh, what the fuck? Are you sure you're not on cocaine? Yeah, I'm positive, pal. I'm positive. I, I'm I'm thrown for a loop. I'm really I'm really sitting in a well of my own emotions at this point. I'm so confused. Yeah. Well, you know, after we had a what could be best defined as a loose discussion our last uh, episode was great it was for, it was for thematically flow of flowing it was uh, it was as disconnected as hypercube yeah it really was that's that's truly going to be our hypercube of this series uh and we're going to finish up with cube zero but until we get to cube zero matt what what'd you get up to this past weekend well, so if you are one of the many wonderful people who follow us on Instagram, many, um, all all eighty of you, uh, you would have seen that this weekend I was at the Moon Runners, uh Music Festival in Chicago. It was the ten year anniversary. Uh, it was a really really wonderful time. Uh, I want to call out a few bands that really uh, did a great job. Uh, Call Me Bronco, who play like a very fast, fun punk rock sound. It completely blew me away. I had no idea who they were. Uh, Tall Doug, who was really funny and very endearing to watch live. Uh, The Urban Pioneers, um, who also were a band I had never heard of, but played a very jovial kind of like country bluegrass sound that I think if I played in the car for you, Ben, on a long road trip, you would be confused. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's very much in that vein of music and i because i walked in they were like five minutes into their set and i was like i don't know if i like this and then i just stayed and fell more in love with it as time went on <laughs> i was really hoping you were going to say you left and still didn't know whether or not you liked it no that that's a different band that's on the list oh okay <laughs> um uh the 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 other band i'll shout out that i've never spoken about on the show before uh, it's a band called SS Web. Going into the weekend, I didn't know who they were, uh, but they again had a really fun, energetic style that really kind of hyped me up for the uh, two big headliners um, that I was really there to see. Even though one of them wasn't necessarily a headliner, um, the bands everyone should check out, and I think really did an amazing job, was Local News Legends, uh, who's a band I followed for a couple of years now, uh, and it's just uh, it was just two people, April. And I think M- uh, Ashley, Emily, I'm not sure what the best name is at the moment. Uh, but they went up there and played a killer, honest, really fun show. 
the crowd was super into it. It was re- Ben. Have you? Um, I know you're not like around kids at all, uh, but have you heard people <laughs> yeah, I'm not that do like that? Like, don't put that in a recording. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, have you? Have you? I know you're not around kids a lot, Ben. So have you heard like the hiya thing? What? Like we're. I don't want to do it again because people kids like do it where they go like hiya and they but they say it really like effeminately and intensely. Have you? Have you heard this at all? No, is this like a reference to something? I don't know. So <clears throat> they just run up to you and go, hiya. Yeah, or they say, give me a hiya, and then everyone does it back at them. And I originally encountered this from the eight year olds that I tutor. Um, and oh, they think it's. They think it's the funniest goddamn thing in the world. And they, I made a bet with them once, and they won, so I had to say it. And they know how uncomfortable it made me to say it. And now every single time I see them and they're like, like trying to mess around, they always ask me like, Hey, hey do you, do you remember that time he made you say, Hey, yeah. <laughs> um, and in the middle of the local news legend set, like now, like the first like five minutes, like something happened. And the, uh, the lead singer was talking to the crowd and was like, can, uh, can the sound guy in here get a hi And I was like, Oh fuck. And then the entire crowd did it super loud and i was just like i can't express to any of these people why i am so uncomfortable without telling them that you're acting like children your students <laughs> would have been so excited dude if if any of the kids i work with from the the second graders i work with at the school i'm at to the kids i tutor if they had been there for that moment it would have been one of those like like life lifelong concert moments like I, when i was a kid um I went and saw Sum 41 and Derek, the lead singer gave this whole big like speech um, about pit etiquette and about like, you know, you don't let anyone fall down. You pick them up. If, if someone gets hurt, you know, that's, that's the pit at its worst. Like this whole big speech. And like, it's like firmly in my memory. Like I can, it's one of those like deep childhood memories. And I can imagine if there was like a 14 to like a 12 year old in that crowd, and then a whole room of like h- hardcore crusty punks went hiya, like, and it didn't happen once during the set, Ben. It happened like ten times. That sounds so much worse. It was it was incredibly fun, but it made me feel so weird because of the <laughs> the fact that I to, I guess to them it's just a meme that they've heard and it's relevant to their age group, which makes me feel even older because these people were born in like two thousand one. Man, two thousand and ninety-nine. When did we? Is this like us officially being old now? Like, is that? This... That was my whole weekend at this festival. Because when I went last year, I was like, no, I'm still like the general young age of everyone. And then this year, I was like, I think I'm bordering on like the slightly older guy who just happens to still be in the pit. When and, I went oh. to my friend's wedding in North Carolina, it was on the Duke campus. And it's like the fact that I can differentiate myself from college students now and I can be yeah. so easily annoyed by college students. Dude, that's that why for you gotta... me is like the line of demarcation. St- sitting, being around only like super young kids most of the time is like a very revitalizing thing. Because there's like, I've never not viewed them as kids ever since I was like 12. Sure. So like I, I'm fine with them still being children, but when I like yeah, like even even the fifth grade the fifth graders that have like hit their growth spurt this year, like the fifth like I'm like oh you look way too old I what this is just 
or when like eighth like high school like late middle school kids come and like pick up their siblings i'm like oh man you're like annoying young like it's that weird middle ground where i feel so far removed from their like cognitive experience right where like little kids i'm like this is chill i also um you're forgetting how to be a child no i'm not baby I can I can attest to my my childish nature by how much fun I had in the pit at the show, <laughs> um, and I'll never let that die. Uh, the only other band there's only two other bands I want to call out for fans of Penis Nocturne from uh, a couple weeks Nocturne. ago. Yes, that uh, a band that played this weekend is a big is a very popular band who I believe has headlined Moonrunners in the past. Uh, a band called Holy Locusts. Uh, Holy Locust has like twelve members or seven and they all play like a collection of different folk instruments and a couple of their songs sound straight up like uh Nocturne songs just with no metal instrumentation so it's like just the accordion and flutes and violins and people chant scream singing and it's not like black metal way yet like uh wailing but it's kind of like the shouty punk vocals which goes super well when they're super rhythmically and spookily layered in with um accordion and these like really deep almost circus like harmonics and folk instrumentation so uh, if you liked if you liked pesni nectarian uh go check them out the last band i'll mention and you all from that same episode uh will remember this name harley poe um i actually got to meet their drummer christian uh outside of the show before their set i didn't know who he was and I was inebriated, so when he was like, when I asked him if he had seen Harley Poe live before, he's like, "Dude, I play the drums. I'm Christian." And I was like, "That's awesome. That's really cool, man. Thanks." <laughs> <laughs> I still am like, like I had to share that because it's um, eating me up inside. It was very nice. Like we had like a really wonderful conversation, and I think the other two people in the conversation knew who he was, but I figured see, they like, just knew the guy. See, like I. I I almost feel like in a way that's better. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure because I, I didn't want to be like whoa. Because like, like if I'm the drummer, it's like well, it's music. People listen to music. They generally probably don't know what they look like. Yeah. So but if I, you just like it, like imagine Matt, you're a musician, right? Like imagine yeah. you're Gary, and someone walks yeah. up to you <laughs> and they're like, "Wow, man, like." Like, aren't you excited to listen to Gone Mage or whatever tonight? Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, like that's that's the, the most sincere form of flattery. The the awkward thing though is I talked about how I had seen them live like four times. Okay, well that's on you. You're gonna have to live <laughs> with that the rest of your life. I I'm gonna be honest. I usually just pay attention to the lead singer because I'm like there for the vocals okay. and like the message. But like, okay, you're definitely uh, gonna have to live with that the rest of your life. Now I was trying to help out. I know, no. I know, but I can't. I have to let the truth reign. Yeah, it's part of my yeah, that's, ethos. That's that's uh, fair. That's I fair. also. Uh, that was great. Great met some great people. Met some sad people that I wish I could have uh, helped out, but wasn't in a position to. Uh, but overall, it was a really great night. Uh, one band, Ben, to fit your I saw, didn't know how I felt, and then left, still not knowing how I felt. Um, there were two bands. One was Jake Orvis and the Broken Band, which is apparently super popular and has one of the guys from Urban Pioneers in it. But, like, man, I wanted to enjoy that set because I didn't have anything else to do, and I went outside. And the other, <laughs> the other band was Black Eyed Vermilion who I stayed for their whole set because they had an incredibly good stage performance. 
but it reminded me of like really intense five finger death punch. Hmm. Um, like in like a good way and like a much more improved version of that sound. But like, I was like, I don't know if I'm like the right person for like the, the aesthetic and the mood of this music, which was like very like, eh, yeah, what, I'm what? gonna drink my whiskey and kill my wife. Like that kind of vibe. So you're saying you didn't like the lyrics? Yeah, uh, some of them. Some of them were good, and and like the sound was fun, and they were very exuberant in their performance. But I was just kind of like, eh. uh huh. Um, yeah, okay. and it wasn't just lyrical; it was more of like a like a mood, the vibe. Uh, yeah, the vibe. But again, the bands that re- everyone really should check out would be uh, Call Me Bronco, Tall Doug, Urban Pioneers, Local News Legends, SS Web, Holy Locusts, and Harley Poe. And that's all I really did this weekend. I saw the new Doctor Strange movie, and I don't know who who listens to this would care, but it was good, but poorly written, but still very good. So I heard that that movie was originally going to be like a hard H horror movie. Yeah, and it was like and, halfway there. And then like midway through development, they Disneyed it. They, you know, I will say this: there is some fucking real horror in this movie. Um, when compared, when compared to the other, uh, Marvel films, this is the first one that has had what I would consider like even a lowercase horror attached to it more so than any Marvel prop. And there's some brutal deaths. Um, they don't like shy away. Like, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, I guess I actually have sex. It's a brand new movie. Uh, at one point, um, one of the characters basically spaghettifies the other character on screen and you watch them like. You watch them like, okay, so I'm going to fucking spoil it. I don't give a shit. If you haven't seen Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, go see it. You're not a big enough nerd if you haven't seen it already. Um, at one point, Wanda Maximoff attacks um, Reed Richards, um, who's Mr. Fantastic. You know, Do you know who he has been? Yeah. Stretchy man, right? Mr. Stretch? Yeah, Mr. Uh, Stretch. He comes out like he's about to attack her, and then she just like manipulates his body in there, and then strings him out until his body just falls apart and explodes. They haven't even had the movie yet, and they killed him. Yeah. Oh, that's part of the reason. Okay, so to get in, get into it real quick, part of the big issue that people have with this movie is the fact that they promoted and made a big point that they're gonna do all of this multiversal very intricate open world stuff that's going to make you really invested in these new characters and bring them in to the marvel cinematic universe and the movie kind of felt like it was making fun of you for wanting that because it shows all these people introduces and then murders all of them instantly oh and like in like a way that like i've heard some people say is like a fuck you to fans to me i really i thought it was really fucking cool and it made sense and it to me as a comic fan it made the character in the movie seem more powerful given that she was defeating these people. What, 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 but it was also, it was also Marvel Disney fan mindset to be in. Oh, I totally, I'm a hundred percent WWE, like Marvel, the Marvel cinematic universe is my WWE at this point for people who are still fans of it. Well, no, well, no, I just appreciate it's like, all right, they bring these characters in and then they kill them. This must be a fuck you to the Marvel fan base. That's what they're right. doing. What a WWE mindset that is. I don't prescribe to that mindset as much as WWE does, but like it's very firmly out there. And I can see why when you look at the movie from like a pure writing standpoint, how frustrating what it does is. 
but it's also a really fucking cool movie. So, you know, it it works out. It is. It just doesn't. It, it actually, in a very WWE way, ignores previous storytelling and characterization to facilitate the story running better. And it's like the story you just told says that this character shouldn't be doing this right now. Like there would be some kind of build up to this happening. Like no, 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 it's just happening now. Well, what did you do this weekend, Ben? I've talked extensively about my experiences. Yeah, uh, our weekend was quite exciting. We kicked it off on Friday by going to a Los Angeles staple, Lucha Vavoom, which is a more of a Mexican variety show than a wrestling show. And in many ways, the wrestling was the worst part of the night. It is a pro wrestling show slash comedy show slash burlesque slash drag dancing slash like native ritual dancing. There was a woman who took her clothes off and danced inside a giant oversized balloon and then popped the balloon. That was cool. Another, uh, there was a drag queen who attached her hair to the ceiling and started spinning around in a circle. That was dope. Um, and then there's the Lucha. And the Lucha is characterized by the two whitest fucking comedians on the planet who oh, apparently... No. Uh, didn't find success after they were on Mad TV in 1995. Yikes. And so while these Lucha matches are going on, these guys are throwing out like the Walmart joke book here. Like, wow, he hit him with the flying burrito. Oh, he's jumping higher than a Mexican jumping bean. Oh. oh, it was like that every single fucking match. All three of them. He split them open like a taco. All three. Yeah. Yeah. For real. That's they, depressing they, and scary. Yeah. It was really because everything else felt so legit. And then mm-hmm. you just bring in the only two white guys on the card. <laughs> so there Yikes. were three matches. And it was done in front of an audience who, for the most part, was here for the Vavoom and not for the Lucha. These people didn't chant. They didn't give a shit about any of the wrestlers. They'd never seen any of these people before. So it was weird. Taya Valkyrie was in the opening match. And she really set the stage for the evening where she's supposed to be a heel. And she comes out. Big ol' smile. She's like, I'm not going to take a single bump in this match. And she sure as shit did not. Good for her. She comes out, she does like, oh no, you slapped my butt comedy for three minutes, gets pinned. Sweet Jesus. Full paycheck. No I one mean, cares. hey, yeah, you're there for the paycheck, right? Yeah, it was, it was, it sounds like I'm bagging on it because the, com- the comedian does. guys were so bad, but we had a lot of fun there. It was at the Mayan Theater in Los okay. Angeles. That's a famous um, theater. It, it is. That's where the season finale of season i think three of lucifer was was in there oh cool that's actually a cool fun fact yeah um so so it was fun would i go back like in a year probably okay Um, all right but like it's worth it's worth going if you're in a group and you want to make fun of the stupid comedians there um and watch if you're there there for the comedy yeah just not the way they want you to be um, we also then on Saturday, um, 
we ended up going to the John Mulaney comedy special at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? You went to see John Mulaney with with your wife, your future wife? Yeah, Rebecca really likes John Mulaney. Oh, um, okay. Stand-up yeah, comedy oh, actually, for that, me. That does make sense. Yeah, stand-up comedy for me is a very love-hate-hate-hate-hate-hate-hate-hate-hate-hate-hate relationship. So, will, like, you few and, Taryn and far are the same. between. Um, yeah, you, you and Taryn are the exact same when it comes to stand-up comedy. I adore it. I could watch it every night of my life. Stand-up comedy Taryn is can... so weird to me. It People who don't like wrestling should not like stand-up comedy. Yeah, if you like stand-up stand comedy and hate pro wrestling, you have your brain doesn't work. Yeah, because stand-up comedy is the orative version of pro wrestling. Instead it's just the promos. To, instead of trying to simulate a fight, because simulating fights is can be more entertaining than having real ones, stand-up comedy is simulating a guy who's funny to listen to talk. Yeah. Because it's, it's more entertaining than having a real potential funny guy there. Like, you know, but, but anyway, that's my weird soapbox. Uh, and I'm not inebriated enough to follow that train of logic. Man, I, man I wish you were. Dude, like, I, Denver, baby. Um, We're, we're going to have bachelor party-based podcasts. We will. We have to. It's with everybody. Rules. We yeah. have to get one with everybody on. We got to do, like, a night in review. On, like, our first night after we get back from the bar. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be the most brutal thing that anyone has ever listened to. It's going to be the most... It's going to be our most popular episode, and we're going to have to do it again. <laughs> so, uh, after that, we... Well, actually, the, the so the show itself was entertaining. Uh, very yeah, good comedian. John hilarious. Yeah, it, pretty much the whole set was focused around his rehab. Oh, great. Yeah, but it was... I mean, like, he's honest and open about it, and it's a it's something you don't hear about from that way that often, so... Sure. As opposed you gotta, to You gotta go other, to the right kind of comedy. Yeah, as opposed to other, I framed my entire comedy special around this one event in my life happening. This one felt earned. Yeah, he felt like he had a full hour worth yeah, of material. Yeah, there was some comedian on Netflix, and her whole special was, I'm depressed and take medication. And yeah, like that was comedians. what she framed the whole thing around, and it was just not, wasn't there. Not not everybody can be a successful comedian. It's, so, no, and, but no, just look on but Netflix. Netflix will give you a special. Yeah, yeah. There are some absolutely unfunny people, and then you have like Bo Burnham and James A. Caster releasing specials, which are two of the best uh, yeah. modern comedians right now. So we get through the comedy special. That was a lot of fun. They had a bunch of weird rules. The Hollywood Bowl is like what? everything I hate about Hollywood encapsulated into one. Did you have to put your phones in those like black bags? Yes. Oh, yeah. When I saw Joe Rogan, they made us do that. It's the dumbest thing. I took mine. <laughs> As we were leaving, they unlocked mine and I kept it. Because I was like, I I don't want you guys to have this. Like, I oh, they this. were gonna they were going to hold on to it? I think one of them said it was up to you if you wanted yeah, to for, keep it. Yeah, for uh, for us at the show we went to, you had to have, like, the black bag was attached to the seat in front of you. Oh, and, no. Like, and, they and came by they and made you put it in. And this one they were handheld, but they were magnetically sealed. So I have this bag that I can't close because if I close, I won't be able to open it again. That's awesome. You got to, like, use that as a prank. <laughs> Good call. 
Bring uh, bring that to the bachelor party because anyone who's going to be there and doesn't listen to this episode is going to be fucked. That's going to be all of them. This is great. So on Sunday we Ooh, wrapped Sunday, up Sunday, our Sunday. Uh, we we wrapped up our weekend. Rebecca beautiful just Mother's finished Day. her last exam that she'll ever take in her life for school. She is. Are you sure about her, that last one? Yeah, she's never her, never a license or a test or. Shut up! We're any, not including that. We're we're talking about school. <laughs> school, all right. It's Pilot different. School is it's school. different. It's still school. Shut the fuck up, Matt. <laughs> die, so, dreams, die. In celebration of her getting her two master's degrees this week, we went, and also her half birthday, which is coming up, we celebrated Wingding, Matt. Our first ever Wingding. The where fuck we is Wingding? We drove all around LA trying new wing places, because Rebecca really likes wings. Yeah, so do, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. So we is had- Is this your idea? Yes, it was my idea. I, it sounds like your idea. Yeah, it sure was. So oh, we man, had, I, you know, I'm, gl- I'm happy you're happy. <laughs> Rebecca had a great time, except for the one that made her sick. So we <laughs> had salted egg wings oh. at a Thai restaurant, and those were good, and they reheated well. Okay. We got wings at uh, Hotville chicken which is a nashville hot chicken style sure this one rebecca always gets the spiciest wings on the menu sure yeah gotta gotta prove something and these were hotter than that like they were uh, she gave me just like a piece of the skin yeah and it was like and and it was unfathomable like is that the one that made her sick yeah yeah i'm not surprised (laughs) Well, it's because the rub wasn't flavored at all. It was just heat. Oh, oh, God. Like, that, that, well, that'd make anybody sick. Because I got medium, which was the step below that. And mine tasted pretty good. Hers mm. was just pure heat. And it was so just pain? Had, yeah. Um, she's still convalescing. Our top wings of the day were at Kyochan which they claim to be the originator of Korean fried chicken in America. And I don't know if that's true or not. But what I do know is that their ginger soy wings were Mm -hmm. so good, even I liked them. Wow, what a a compliment. No, I mean, man. No, I'm I'm being being serious. When you guys come out here. Uh Uh-huh. Those wings are so good. I'm I'm pumped. I love good wings, so I'm totally it's in. Perfectly crispy. Yeah, that's the thing. Every every place that I every Korean style wing place I've gone to has been the best wings I've had. Like yeah. my favorite wings in Chicago are like Korean style. My second favorite wings in Chicago are Korean style. Um, it, it's some of the best. It, the way they cook chicken, I actually do when I do my dry rubbed wings. I do like a. If I'm, if I'm doing, like, a sticky or, like, a glaze, I always do it, like, Korean style. Because uh, it produces just such a crispy, tacky, like, like um, it's skin that's crispy, but it, it just crackles as you bite it. But it doesn't detract from the juiciness of the meat at all. So good. Yum. And on that note, we want to thank our biggest fan oh. of the week, which is... Now, this one came down to another race. Because two, two, two individuals, Mason and Brennan, both came in with the correct code in relation to the movie. And uh, 
Shout out to Brennan for uh, providing the apo- the appropriate apostrophe to make it the little two up in the top instead of just two. But unfortunately, the winner this week and our biggest fan is young Sir Mason. I knew it. I knew Mason you were a came in. Fan, Mason. Mason came in at nine o'clock on Thursday. Damn. It took Brennan until Friday to listen to the podcast. What a bitch. What a bitch. Back I know. to Ireland you go. Yeah, Northern Ireland specifically. Northern Ireland, which is not its own independent area. <laughs> it's part of a larger group of isles. <laughs> yeah, it's all just owned by the UK anyway. In fact, Matt, I petition that we r- stop calling it Northern Ireland. We instead refer to it as the northernmost tip of ireland which is part of the uk in parentheses yes yes perfect perfect the the empire the empire of england reigns now 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 here's here's the real controversy ben in this in this new paradigm we're presenting do you see wales as its own country i think wales are like a giant mammal got it cool i see where you're coming from and on that note <laughs> it is time for Ben and Matt's Festival of Findings. Matt, are you ready to talk Cube Zero? Making more waves than an office worker with middling income and no upward mobility, it's Ben and Matt's Festival of Findings, a celebration of the odd, obscure, underappreciated, and best forgotten video games, movies, and media of your I am your host, one minus one equals Ben, and I am joined by my fellow host. He's the sniper of the skies from the Borderlands franchise. It's Matt. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing excellent today, Ben. I am excited to talk about arguably my favorite Cube movie, Um, a movie considered not canonical by the deep internet, apparently but one that revitalized a lot of life into a series and into a podcasting series that has been presented to each of you. Yeah, Cube Zero is, I, I feel like, the most... and I mean, the, the first Cube movie is obviously the most important in the franchise. Yeah. It's the one that's but, actually important to cinema. Yeah, but you needed Cube Zero to tie Hypercube and Cube and everything together, I feel like. I think Cube Zero is why the series as a whole is so evergreen. Yeah, so I... Because if there was something that was introduced in Hypercube, they at least sort of finesse everything into the same world together. So I think think the quote... So I got I got a couple quotes from the uh, thankfully uh, uploaded Do you have a YouTube quotes? making quotes. Got some quotes. quotes. I got some quotes for you. Got some uh, quotes these, over here. These, these, these quotes are coming from the 2004 DVD. Quotes uh, of total. So um, 
I think a perfect way to introduce this film to our listeners. If you've been, if you're already a fan of the franchise or you've been watching along um, as each episode comes out, um, you'll resonate with this quote, uh, which Ernie uh, Barabash, the writer and director of uh, the, the co-writer of Hypercube and the writer and director of Cube Zero says that this is the first movie. This is the movie that returns to the original line of dialogue that meant so much to him in cube where the main ethos and mythology of cube is a headless blunder operating under the illusion of control and uh ernie is pretty blatant about saying how he feels that cube hypercube managed to fall away from that original intention so in 2003 through 2004 he decided that he was going to return cube to what it needed to be and make cube zero the prequel to cube and hypercube a movie that he considers part of the universe and is part of the chronology of the films of the original trilogy um, this is the first cube movie to take place both inside and outside of the cube in, in a major and plot driven way subject located here we go And there you have it. Well. It's like some kind of code we have to figure out. She's doing better than most. Half of them don't even notice the letters, let alone map them. Don't get involved. She doesn't stand a chance. Of course she has a chance. Yeah? You're gonna ride in on your white horse and whisk her out? She's gonna die in there, and she's probably innocent! What are you doing? You're not allowed in there. No! I'm inside. Who the hell are you? I've come to help. Letters. They just disappeared. They know I'm here. Move it! Get a squad to the exit point. Run! They're playing with us. Prepare to die. Don't I get a choice? Don't all the condemned get a choice? original film um we're back in a very harsh intense industrial uh world a world that was uh inspired by a classic that ben and i love 1995 city of lost children or la city enfant produce in french because we're i've never seen here. that yes you have when when did i see that with you 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 watched it on the couch in my parents basement how do you not it's got it's got fucking ron perlman in it Donald Pinkton, Jean-Claude uh, Dreyfus, Daniel Elmfort. Like, what? How do you what, not remember What this? happened in this movie? Wow. City of Lost Children is the um, is a movie about a scientist in a surrealist society kidnaps children to steal their dreams. 
and Ron Perlman goes and tries to save this group of children from these like psychotic um, scientists who live out on this like creepy fall like fake island. It's got like very oh, very I similar did see vibes that, to the. I? It's a movie that gets confused a lot with the Dark City, uh, which is another like neo noir sci fi movie. Um, but uh, City of Lost Children is one of the most strikingly beautiful surrealist films ever made. Um, and it very much as a counterpoint to cube, the cube franchise in general uh, presents that same kind of surreal nihilistic industrial world. Um, and very much like cube, you're trapped in this city that you can't escape. And so the, the director and writer of cube zero, Ernie uh, Barbash, I'm just going to call him Ernie for the rest of the show uh, was heavily inspired by reverting the cube to its industrial design, colored rooms and very, intense stark metallic uh vision and i think that is the core of the movie because we open unlike in hypercube where we get kind of like the false like oh goes in the room looks around and it's like everything's a little bit different and this one a man named riken is trying to escape inside the cube just like in the first movie upon entering a trapped room he's sprayed with liquid but in a callback to the original intention of the first movie he's desperately excited that it's water because he is quenched, he is he's dehydrated, he's been stuck in this cube. And it does a great job of tying back to the fact that the characters in this cube are desperate for food and water, which they don't really touch on throughout the rest of the movie. But in one of the coolest effects in the entire cube franchise, um, he discovers that the water that's been spraying was actually a, a, a odorless acid that begins to dissolve his body. And you get to watch him slowly slough skin off his hands and his face and it was all done with practical effects um the uh actor who portrayed him said it was one of his favorite prosthetics he had to get got to do and it took over four and a half hours to apply the prosthetic for the movie Uh, how Um, matt which cube intro death or or intro would you say is the best of the franchise the the original the original the original to me does the like holy fuck moment the best where i think cube zero kind of sets you in the mindset to have like a more methodical experience cube where you zero see is him. more of like a reset yeah it definitely well, he is because d- d- wanted to reset the series yeah after what he felt were the failures of hypercube I, I mean the fact that the first thing in cube zero the guy does is freak out because there's water to drink yeah. That feels like a direct response to Hypercube. hundred percent. A movie, it, it goes, it goes from a movie that was all about astrophysics and quantum mechanics and quantum entanglement back to the harsh reality. And that harsh reality is reinforced where for the first time in the history of the cube franchise, we pull back from the death, not to another group of survivors, but to two men, Eric Wynn and Dodd, who are unaware employees of the cube industries or eyes on, I guess, or the government organization that is working through eyes on um, who are, whose job it is to observe and document uh, what happens to the individuals inside the cube. Um, and we find out in this iteration that Win is some super genius cause he can do like chess real good. Uh, which is one of the most random and doesn't actually end up meaning anything throughout the rest of the of the movie. But 
does a very good job in the writing of displaying uh, Wynn's intelligence without just being like, you know, this man is a uh, real smart, like, um, and does it in a very, I think, interesting way. Um, well, no, I thought that the whole point was that, uh, I mean, this gets into spoilers for later, but I sort of feel like the whole him being good at chess was more to retroactively explain the first movie. No, I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think I don't think being good at chess has anything to do with being able to do astronomical math factoring. I think that's just because he is super smart and part of and their way of showing you that he is so intelligent is by showing that he's really good at chess. See, but, I thought the idea was that even in a dumbed down state, he was he was such like a whiz with Matt that he was like able to know what rooms were safe and how to like yeah, but that's that's because he knew how to read the 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 numbers. Sure, but I still feel like that's part of it. I I feel like to me the chess is just a way of showing the audience that he's smart, not that it doesn't like chess doesn't come up in the movie. Like outside of him drawing himself as a chess man and using his like no, it, it's just I, a plot I, device. It doesn't like in like the first movie they don't I mention chess. I feel like chess. it's a good way to sort of like highlight yeah, I agree. He's good at like pattern recognition, though, which is useful in the cube. I'm not I, saying it's I, a main I, point, but I do feel yeah. like it helps bolster it. I think it's just a a really well done uh, uh, writing piece of writing, uh, where you take like this innocuous trait and make it a way of displaying the intelligence or a character trait you want people to understand about the audience. Um, but from there, um, we get we learn more and more about what Win and Dodd do when they are asked to analyze the dreams of a new uh, person in the cube, Cassandra Reigns. Uh, Cassandra Reigns is a the character that takes the place of... Um, oh, what's her name? Oh, this is a big this is a big faboo for me. What is her name, Matt? What's her what's name? A, what's her name? name? I know it's played by Nicole DeBoer, but what's the actor's name? Character's name. Okay. <clears throat> So we're introduced. We're introduced to uh, Cassandra Reigns, who takes the place of Levin from the first movie as the female protagonist, um, who is going to lead the plot forward throughout the movie. And the main character and the other main character, Eric Wynn, is somewhat obsessed or and initially very enamored um, with this woman, which leads to his choices throughout. But before that happens, we meet the other main characters of our story. Uh, Robert Haskell, Jellico, uh, Mayerhold, and Bartok, who, back to how the first movie is structured, are very unaware of who they are or why they're in there, unlike in Hypercube. But Haskell does have a tattoo or like a brand on his forehead that shows that he works for Aizen. And due to the fuckery of the plot, Reigns is able to recall that um, Haskell is an employee of the Cube people. Um, and thus creates the Quentin Levin tension that existed in the first movie. Um, and in this movie, we really hammer in that each of them is a member who has a death sentence and volunteered to partake in the psychological experiment. But... As we cut back to uh, Wynn and Dodd outside the cube, we find out that the character Cassandra, uh, 
Reigns's uh, consent form is not in her uh, container. But this is when we get, I think, the most interesting um, part of the movie where we get to see the exit procedure. The exit procedure is such a... It, it's it, it's such a great end cap to the experiment. The, the final step that happens is if someone makes it to the end, they enter a room and there's a big booming voice, which is, we know, one of the operators of the cube. And well, they're not even the operators. They're just analysts, which is the fucked, which is even more fucked up thing. They're just like rats in the, in the, also in the machine. Well, I have a point of about that actually. We'll get there. Um, And one of them asks over the intercom, do you believe in God? And there is a yes button and a no button that the analyst can press depending on what the response is. And the great bit of storytelling here. The no button is so worn. Yep. And the yes button is completely fresh. Just because incredible after going set through that, design. No one can believe in God. Yeah. And and, and, and and if you don't believe in God, you end up getting burned alive. Yeah. And Dodd even reveals to win after his like horror that no one has ever answered yes. Um, and in the, this makes win, uh, win conclude that the cube is an inhuman, is inhuman in a place where people are put against their will and kind of breaks his internal programming. Um, one thing that I found very interesting from the making of documentary, uh, and listening to Ernie talk about the film and some of the other actors talk about the movie. Um, Ernie at one point says, uh, uh, the message of this movie and what this movie is trying to imply in his mind, in relation to the first movie as well, is the question of the nature of authority. To what lengths are people willing to go as long as they are uh, resolved, uh, absolved of their sense of responsibility for their actions? And that scene, specifically the exit procedure, I think really hammers in this kind of notion of what you can do when you... And Dodd kind of embodies this... Uh, since it's not his choice, he's just following orders kind of in the, uh, banality of evil that we saw with, uh, Adolf Eichmann, um, that his actions aren't necessary. Don't make him a villain because he is just doing what he's told. Um, and a lot of the actors saw that scene as a big part of what the characters are being forced to do and see about themselves while in the cube. Um, and the actor who plays, um, Oh, what's his name? The uh, the actor who plays uh, Bartuk in his interview talks about how he feels like uh, the cube is meant to be a four-sided mirror that forces everyone to be themselves unabashedly um, in the name of survival. And that scene kind of represents that for... It represents how, where they reveal later in the movie that Wynn and Dodd are actually part of the experiment. They're not just employees, you know, they're being watched too. Um, And, and even more so, this is the point I was, uh, I found while doing research on this movie, uh, Ernie Barbarash, who was interviewed by IGN for this movie, he talks about, 
the character Jax that's introduced later in the movie, mm-hmm. who is the guy that oversees Dodd and Wynn. So he's like another step up. Yeah, they the even call order. him like the overseer or something like yeah. this. And uh, about him, Ernie says, quote, the key to introducing an authority figure into a cube film is to have them be not the ultimate authority figure. Mm-hmm. It's a vertical hierarchical system where everyone kicks the guys below them and gets kicked by the guys above them. The question yeah. of the, psycholo- the, the psychology of authority in authoritarian societies has always fascinated me. I grew up in the Soviet Union, so you can draw all the conclusions you want there. I think it actually comes more from wondering about how people could send other people to gas chambers and worse in the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, he he touches on that same notion in the in the making of where he talks about his inclusion of like faith and a lot of religious connotation uh, becoming a big part of the movie because of his views of the authoritarian nature of the church, especially when you come from that part of the uh, the world where the authority of the church can be felt a lot more intensely than it can to a lot of I think uh, uh, liberal Western culture here in the United States. Yeah, this movie honestly is the most grounded out of all of them while Mm -hmm. in many ways having a much more whimsical tim burton-esque art direction to it It, this this movie bar none has the best effects of the entire franchise even it at the very least has the best uh art direction yeah well the the design of the uh where ernie i don't know where win and dodd work is outstanding it feels so lived in um it's like an old set from like some uh when they, when they were designing it they told the stage designers uh this needs to look like a government facility that was forgotten about found and then they had to find a use for it so they slapped this inside of it um and it really does feel like that and that and that, that notion i think really does uh present the world of cube super well where even the place where the two guys responsible for analyzing conducting these services um are in a place that was found and and repurposed for them yeah this movie is honestly one of the best indictments of just modern society Mm -hmm. it hits the same tone as the first one where the world itself is the punishment of sci-fi where instead of going high tech, like in hypercube cube zero and cube both hammer in on the very tactile, realistic uh, material and science fiction of the things that are happening. Cause it feels like you could be a part of that, even though they, they, they dip their toe into the higher advanced technology with like the cool wacky computers and like eye technology. Well, yeah, but it's still the banality mm-hmm. of all this technology being used to just torture people. And with no purpose. Again, like, right. he makes it, it's with, a, it's a with headless this blunder point, operating of the illusion of control. With at this point, admittedly no purpose. I, yeah. I mean, if you look inside their office, they do nothing with any of the files around them. And yet the files are there. And half the cabinets are just like partially open and not being used. Right. So the building, the office they're in is essentially an abandoned office that they're just sort of. They just smacked the tech inside of. It's so post-apocalyptic. I mean, maybe it is, you know, who are we to know? Because, because the real 
thing about cube zero is that in cube one, you don't know what's outside the cube. And then in hypercube, you know that whatever is outside the cube is purposefully doing things this way for yeah, a even reason. even in hypercube which actually is like the one really good thing that does for the world building of the franchise is yeah. show that what's going on outside is just just keeps happening and there are people who aren't okay with what this organization's doing but there's really no point of failure because it's just gonna yeah. keep happening it's too big to cube, fail cube zero is the movie that goes Whatever is outside the cube is also part of the experiment. It's also no. part of the cube. There's so many layers and, you know, none of it watch, matters. people watching people watching people watching the other people. And then yeah. it, it, it goes nowhere. It's headless. It, there's no reason for these characters to be doing what they're doing. But all they know is that they have to do it. Because the real answer of who's running the cube is probably no one. Yeah. yeah it's a headless blunder. I, I mean... It is it is literally a a ship without without a captain just sailing through the yeah, ocean because all they know is how to sail. It's humans or or humans at the beck and call of something essentially created their own version of hell it's, it's for a them real, to judge people. It's a real condemnation toward people that believe that there's a uh, a new world order or like a secret cabal running the earth. Uh, to, You're gonna make I, to, the argument to those that this people, is a condemnation of a bunch of different things. Yeah, but to those to that mindset particularly, like I could I could imagine being like, look at Cube. That's what's the, that's what's actually going on. If you think there's a cabal running the Earth, it's just this. It's like 400, 150 years ago, twenty people thought like, ah, we'll run the Earth, and now they like made all these mechanisms for control and distribution of wealth and knowledge and illness. And now they don't know how to run it. And they everyone assumes there's someone in charge. But no one knows who the secret masters are anymore because there aren't any. And people are just fucking making it up because they won't admit what's going on. Very brave new world, isn't it? It's, bra- it's a brave new world with no big brother. Just people who operate the cameras. Uh, so, okay. So, Matt, t- take us through the rest of the story here. What, yeah, what so, happens? So, so like like what would happen, I think, to Ben or I if we were in this situation. Oh, no, I'd, I'd be fine. Um, but eventually, Wynn is so disturbed and so um, uh, traumatized by the experience of the exit procedure that he becomes disillusioned by the cube itself and decides that he is going to go in and save his now love interest Reigns and her friends. Really, he's just there to save Reigns because he's infatuated by her and she has a daughter. So he breaks into the cube by taking the magical elevator down well, into that, the cube. Well, that's not quite true. It, he reads the report on her and she hasn't done anything wrong. Yeah, well, yeah, he he, he frames it as like a, as like a moral justification. I mean, the only yes, reason he, cared, he, want, he wants a one-way ticket to Plowtown, but like... Yeah, the only reason he no cared... Reason. There, yeah, okay, there's no, there's no exterior reason. Uh, there, well, there is an exterior reason, but the internal reason for the character is he's infatuated with this woman um, and her story and who she is, um, which is fine and, and, a, and a decent motivation because clearly it's like uh, Wynn's been locked inside of this work facility for an unknown period of time. I, I They don't address it, and I think that's a great notion that they never talk about uh, Dodd or Wynn leaving. 
um, or that there is any chance of them leaving. I think they live in the cube full time and the capsule food they eat makes them not notice they never leave. Um, but back to the story, uh, when gets into the cube through an elevator, clearly set up for him to be able to do so. Cause it's part of the experiment. Um, but Dodd is joined then by the super, his supervisor, Jax and two analysts, um, who have learned that Wynn has put himself in the cube and they're there to trap him and fuck everything up and destroy everybody. And they activate the fail safe. Uh, which would electrocute every room in the cube and kill everybody. But Dodd, in a in a in a uh, revel of justice and desire to be a good person, sabotages the control panel, uh, starts to break the cube down, and thus uh, starts a forced reset. Uh, which, like in Hypercube and in the original cube, resets a room in which a character can exit. Um, they are given ten minutes exactly to escape. Uh, and over the next 35 to 40 minutes, uh, they slowly meander their way toward the exit. And I swear, if you counted up the screen time in which they're talking and Jax and other people try to get them killed, uh, it would equal more than 10 minutes. Um, uh, Dodd makes a big sacrifice by swallowing an important component. Um, but unfortunately, Jax, as the evil stereotype he is, decides to slice his stomach open and uh, release the chip. And once they are able to uh, turn the machine back on, they activate the mental control, which is a callback to um, the original movie where um, Levin says they put microchips in the brains of all of the soldiers. And oh, man, that's we right. fully get a realization because they say, is the microchip still in? Do we still chip our soldiers? And they're oh, like, yes, we do. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Man. And they, and they activate Haskell who goes and tries to murder all of them. Um, but they manage to fight him off. And I think throw him into like a dissolving room and win and reigns manage to jump out of the auxiliary exit. Haskell gets vaporized. And then the most fucking confusing and I think really the only bad part of the whole movie. Um, when and Reigns escape through a, a, a water feature like in Hypercube, which is a nice callback. Uh, but this time, instead of emptying out into a government facility, it opens up to a big lake um, that is reminiscent of the dreams, uh, dreams that Reigns is having at the beginning. Um, they start to run through the woods, but eyes on employees are sent after them to kill, uh, to tranquilize them and trap them somehow in a way that makes negative sense. Um, when is shot and as he's being tranquilized, starts to fight back against the eyes on employees, letting reins escape in a way, in a, in a sense that makes absolutely no fucking sense. But then we we take a fucking hard right turn right back into the beauty and we get back to some deep cube references where we see from Wynn's perspective, he awakens in an operating room with the skin on his head removed, lines painted across his skull, prepared for surgery as Jackson informs them that he has been sentenced for high treason because remember, Aizan is a government organization and he'll be serving multiple left lifetimes inside the cube when protesting. I didn't sign the consent form. I never did. 
And then Jax pulls out a form with a little X over the signature and wins a signature copied from his drawings directly on the consent form. And his brain is permanently altered so that he can't escape from the cube. And then we cut to Reigns as she's reunited with her daughter fucking somehow in a way that makes no sense because Aizan apparently had her captured unless she was just hiding out in the woods or he's dreaming this is happening. It's not particularly well played out, um, but it is Reigns telling her daughter that her friend is a superhero and he saved her. And we get the final scene of the movie where Wynn awakens in the cube, tapping his fingers like Kazan, talking about how he wants to go back to the blue room because the blue room was the auxiliary exit. And that brings us to the end of Cube Zero. Yeah, what a what a fun movie. I Yeah, generally a, uh, a fantastic film. Um, and, and, and it makes... In in hindsight, it makes Cube One more interesting too because 100%. Kazan does make it out. So what happens when he's confronted with "Do you believe in God?" He and has to they, say yes. And the way they show him leaving into the big bright light at the end is very reminiscent of who goes through with it. But you have to wonder who's watching them. Who's sure. who's, who's the new win? Who's the new Dodd? But they have to. Let, be, but they're also part live. of the experiment too. So that means that True. they wouldn't so be is Jax from Jax either. Yeah, I think Jax is also being observed, but he doesn't even think about it. Yeah, um, I'm sure he is. We don't. Unfortunately, we don't have any box office information for Cube Zero. Uh, but it was originally. Well, I, I highly doubt this was in theaters at all. It was actually. It debuted at Screamfest Horror Film Festival. Uh, found that was founded by Rachel Botsky and Moss Martin in 2001. And it, it was a 10 day Canadian and, uh, slash, uh, American film festival that was hosted in LA. Um, and then was released a year later in the United States, uh, on DVD. Yeah. Um, but it did win three, uh, special effects awards at Scream Fest and other festivals, which I think serves back to the, the real the the charm and beauty of this movie, especially I, I went compared to, to Hyperfest last year, we talked about it on the podcast. Wasn't it shitty? No, it was fun. Okay, I I my was that, my was that nun movie I watched. All I remember from last year is the uh, music I box still, of horrors. I I still have some uh some some buttons from that to give you. Oh hell yeah! I'll be for the bachelor yeah. party. Um yeah, I I think it's a. This is a really fantastic movie that, like its predecessors, was a, a big hit, a semi-big hit at all the festivals it debuted at. It sets uh, where Hypercube tries to do too much with the world. This one remembers the ethos and the important nature of the movie and highlights and emphasizes those things. I still think Cube 1 and Cube 0 are a perfect double feature. Um, yeah. I do, I do think, unfortunately, like the uh, double feature we did, uh, that you really should uh, watch the first one first and then. Yeah, you can't movie. watch Cube Zero and then Cube unless you've already seen them, and then it's yeah. like this is a fun novelty. Which, which was great, but we did that, and we were the only two people who had seen both of them. Yeah, honestly, my biggest gripe about Cube Zero, it needed a different name. 
Yeah, I guess Because Cube Zero spoils the movie to an extent. Yeah, yeah, good point. I, I see that, I see that. Like, I don't know what else you would call it. Just call it Cube 3. Cube Cubed. Yeah, the Cubed. Cubed. Well, that yeah. was the original fourth movie that was never made. Well, it's because they missed their chance. That should have been Cube 3. True, good point. Yeah, good point. It should um, have been yeah. Cubed to the power of four. So that... The fourth one. That really brings us to the end here, Ben. Do you have any final thoughts on both Cube and, and the whole Cube franchise in general? I, I, f- I feel like with Cube Zero, we've sort of talked about through the other movies. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we were already sort of struggling a bit for Hypercube. Um, because Hypercube I, is the most vampant movie of them all. This one at least has some like real fucking Cube Zero has really interesting cinematography. It's really its own thing. It really helps bring the franchise together as a whole. Yep. It's a very needed movie for this series, and it's a great end cap on the franchise. Yeah. Just because Cube Zero shows that there is no end. Yeah, it's, 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 it's that, completely limitless. It's that no matter how far you zoom out, there's always going to be something more. And, like, that's where it should stay. That's how it fixes Hypercube. Well, and that's Hypercube and th- goes, hey, government agency involved. Yep. Cube Zero goes, government agency, but how big's the government agency? And like that's what makes everything work is that this is purgatory. This is hell. Yeah. And no, like, it, it doesn't. It really shows, again, like Dante Hammer, the quote in again, but it really proves that it's a headler, headless bunder operating the illusion of control. A truly a directionless beast that is bigger than anyone can really understand that'll never stop trudging forward. Now, another way to describe myself. Oh, baby, baby. Now, now I think, I think the best way to wrap up this whole, this whole little mini franchise, the cubology, the, the cubology, starting us, starting with the horrifically bad remake, followed by one of the most impactful and incredible, Horror films of the 90s, Cube, the uh, kind of lost and meandering Hypercube, and then bringing it back to a solid, structured, industrial base with Cube Zero is a quote from Eric Wynn himself, the actor Zachary Bennett, who, when asked what to talk about the uh, bigger intentions and meaning of the Cubes were, he goes... Man, I really don't like thinking about what movies are like. It is really boring to talk about. I just think the cube is pretty. And if you want a better answer than that, maybe you'll need to ask when the fourth time's the charm. Good night and good morning. Next week, it gets real, bro. We're shooting. It's WCW Vince Russo If you want to become our biggest fan Please use the code Shoot It's shoot Gonna shoot on you Gonna shoot on everybody Gonna shoot on Hulk Hogan WCW 2000 Jesus Christ Man I'm gonna be exhausted Ah. Good morning
All right. So, okay. So, Matt, do you actually want to go over this before we you go ahead? Bitch well, coming in at me like that. I wasn't even <laughs> recording. I was just sitting here <laughs> fucking looking at IMDb. I thought you were joking. I was no. like, oh, guys, coming in hot. I thought that you had, like, thought the call had connected earlier. Nope. Oh. I had, oh, I, had, I, had, I had so much to tell you. <laughs> I'll finish um, my beer. I, I I had a beer for you. Do you do you want to um? Did I tell you I found a beer I liked? What? Yeah, there's a. This beer is good I, content for the podcast. Th- there's a beer I really like. We can put this in at the hold on. Yeah. We'll Bonus put this feature in at the end. If I remember not to just delete this. Don't worry. I'm just bashing the. Uh, the keyboard here so you'll you'll have a good time don't worry i'll probably i'll probably zero out the audio before i even listen to whatever the fuck that was um so i we went to a a taiwanese restaurant and i had it was a a mango beer ew (laughs) yeah but like it tastes like a mango drink i not like beer Sure, yeah, I can see why you like it. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it was it like a was it like sugary or was it did it was it actually Very like sugary? Very okay. sugary. Okay. And you or it was like a it was like a rice beer too, so you had to like shake oh. it. That's Yeah. I, I mean, that's cool. It I would try great. it. I try great. it. Yeah. I've had like mango sake before with like with like mango cream and sake. I it Man, I, I probably wanna, taste I, something like that, yeah. I really want to go to one of the really cool, like, hip sushi, like, hand roll places in Chicago and be like, hey, can I get some cold sake? <laughs> just make, I mean, they're like, probably used to it. I know, but I want to see what their reaction is. I want to see if they man. go with, if it's, go, it's, it's sake. Or if they yeah. go, yeah, of course. You, you would have liked the, uh, the Hollywood Bowl for how fucking obnoxious it is. Well, you said oh, you were awesome. there, right? It's it's the most yeah. obnoxious Hollywoody place ever. Everything's I, named after guys you've never heard of. They have uh, a fucking wine bar there. Oh man, I didn't. Yeah, so when I I went there as a kid, so I didn't even really know. You know, I just ran in and got down to the floor because it was for like a, it was for a concert, like a metal show. So they they were pretty stripped back. The place that was Hollywood as fuck is the. Uh, uh, the Hollywood House of Blues. Now that place reeks of Hollywood. This was like Hollywood elitism, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. This was that was like Hollywood yeah. glitz and and rock and roll and yeah. fucking. All right. Are Are you ready 